That's why we're here this morning. All around, we see fear, we see sin, we even see death. But the reason why we're gathered this morning isn't to mourn together and to wear sackcloth and ashes, but to celebrate a king who's trampled death, defeated sin, and reigns right now at the right hand of the Father. That's why we're here, because we believe the gospel. My name is John. I'm a pastor here at Bethany Baptist Church. I wasn't supposed to preach this morning. But because of CEC guidelines and because everybody getting sick, here I am. It brings me God, joy because nothing that happened this morning, nothing that's happened in the last week has been a shock to God at all. He knows exactly what he's doing. And this morning we have the privilege of being able to hear from him. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them to the book of Hebrews. The book of of Hebrews. This morning we're going to be looking at Hebrews 2 verses 5 through 18, but since it's been a couple months since I've preached uh, um, previously in the book of Hebrews, I'm going to read from the very beginning of the book, from chapter 1 verse 1 all the way down to the end of chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. Again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And about the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. But to the son, your throne God is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. And in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak, and they will be changed like clothing. But you are the same. And your years will never end. Now to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. 
For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord. It was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. Here's our passage this morning. For he is not subjected to angels, the world to come that we are talking about. But someone, somewhere, has testified. What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. But we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning through Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, asking for your help this morning. If you don't help us, we can't understand this passage. It's hard enough to read. It's even harder to understand. And if your spirit doesn't help us, our ears will be closed. Our minds won't be able to comprehend the truths about Jesus here. So we ask God humbly for your help. We need you this morning to help us comprehend and not just to comprehend, but to cherish and meditate on your word this morning. So we do ask for your help, and we trust that you will give it, and that your word will not return void. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Hebrews answers the question whether Christianity is worth it. And the answer that the author of Hebrews gives is Jesus. And that's our main idea this morning. Believe 
in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Four reasons that the text gives us. Number one, Jesus is the perfect man. Jesus is the perfect man. Reason number two, Jesus is the perfect Savior. Jesus is the perfect Savior. Reason number three, Jesus is the perfect conqueror. Jesus is the perfect conqueror. And the last reason, number four, Jesus is the perfect mediator. The perfect mediator. Jesus is the perfect man, the perfect savior, the perfect conqueror, and the perfect mediator. Let's look at number one. Jesus is the perfect man. Read with me in verse five. For he, being Jesus, has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. So far in the book of Hebrews, the author has been explaining the glories of Jesus Christ, that he is the divine son, the second person of the Trinity, and that he's the Davidic son, the perfect man, the promised Messiah who would reign forever. And because Jesus is God and he's greater than angels, the author concludes in chapter 2, verses 1. Read with me. For, for this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord. It was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the, at the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. In other words, we need to listen to what we've heard because what we've heard is so much greater than what any former generation of God's people has heard. Angels would speak in the Old Testament and people would have to listen closely. And how much greater for us if we've been given this great Savior, the God-man, Jesus Christ, if he speaks to you, you better listen. And this message that we've been, given, that we've been called to is amazing. This salvation that we've given, been given by Christ. And the author's point here in verse 5 is that that blessing, that good news, the exalting of lower creatures, humans like you and I, doesn't belong to angels. In The Lion King, Mufasa tells his son Simba to look out. Peter has a quarantine. I was doing this for him. Mufasa tells Simba to look out. See everything that the light touches and that it all will belong to him. In The Lion King one and a half, the meerkat Timon goes out with his mom and she tells Timon to look out as far as the eye can see. Everything that the light touches belongs to someone else. In this case, we're Simba and the angels are Timon. We have been given an inheritance that angels don't get to have. This world to come is not theirs. It's ours. 
In the new creation, you and I are going to have a higher status than angels. I'm sure many of us have set goals going into 2022. But in the midst of career aspirations, hobby pursuits, ab-sculpting dreams, we can start to get caught up in this false idol of self-improvement. Now, seeking to make most of the days is not an inherently sinful thing to do. The Bible actually calls us to do that. But the Bible doesn't tell us to hyper-optimize the present, but ultimately to hope in the future. Whatever we output in this world will soon be outdated. Christians are forward-looking people. We don't ultimately want an efficient 2022. We want Jesus to come back. We want a new creation. So focus on things that last, things that will still be valuable in light of the world to come. I want to encourage you to come to our evening gathering tonight where we're going to pray together, where every single word that we pray tonight is guaranteed to impact eternity. Let's read from verse 6. But someone, somewhere, has testified. What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. The author of Hebrews here cites someone somewhere which is really a direct quotation of Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6. And we read Psalm 8 earlier in the service. And it's a song that's in awe of creation, looking at everything that God has made and the thought that God would put man in charge of it. In this case, however, in Hebrews chapter 2, the author isn't using this psalm to talk about man's inheritance of creation, the fact that you and I get to rule over this world, but about the Son of Man's reception of this new future creation, this world that is to come. You see, Psalm 8, if you just read the psalm, looks at the paradise of the past, at the Garden of Eden, that man's put in charge of this creation, while Hebrews 2 looks at the paradise promised in the future. And as it turns out, Psalms, Psalm 8's exclamation of praise to God for what he's done in creation for humanity was actually just a shadow that would point to what God would do in the new creation for humanity through Jesus. Psalm 8 is ultimately about Christ. Jesus became a man, lower than angels for a short time, is now crowned with glory and honor, and everything is subjected under his feet, including angels including angels. Jesus is superior to angels because he's God, and God's superior to literally everything. But he's also superior to angels because of his work as the Davidic son, as the perfect God-man. When God the Son becomes a man, or when he incarnates, he became lower than angels because he became a human being. But through his work of redemption, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, he was crowned with glory and honor and everything was subjected under his feet because everything will be subjected to Christ. But not everything is subject to Christ 
yet. That's easy to see, isn't it? It doesn't take more than looking at this last-minute substitution behind the pulpit to know that not everything is yet subjected to Christ. The cloth on our face is proof that not everything is subject to Christ. 2022 will have no shortage of war, disease, conflict, pain, sorrow, friendlessness, poverty, and ultimately death. And when we look out, we can see proof after proof that everything is not yet subject to Christ. But we do see one thing, and we see in verse 9. But we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. We see a lot of heartbreaking things in this world, but we get to see Jesus made lower than the angels in becoming a man so that he could taste death for everyone. Jesus became a man to accomplish a mission. He was delivered to deliver us. And if you're not a Christian, this is the main message of Christianity. It's a message of hope. When we look at the world, we have every reason to despair. We live in a world that's broken and marred by sin. And it's broken because we, humanity, have disobeyed God and rebelled against him, even though he's just and holy. But God, in his kindness, sent his son, Jesus Christ, truly God, who became truly man, lower than the angels for a short time, to taste death for everyone who would believe in him. Jesus lived a sinless life, but he was punished on the cross as though he was sinful. And God poured out on him the wrath that you and I deserve. And Jesus died. But on the third day, he rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death. He ascended to heaven where he sits right now on his throne, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. And on his Davidic throne, he intercedes and defends everyone who turns from their sins and trusts in him. And that can be you. And if his death covers you, you have every reason to hope. Everything will be subject to this king, whether in grace or in judgment. You can go to him. He humbled himself, lowered himself so that he can save you turn from your sin and trust in him jesus became a man to accomplish a mission his kingship is inextricably tied to his work as a deliverer his crown is tied with his cross he had to suffer death in order to obtain the crown of glory and while everything may not seem like it's subject to him it will it will. That's reason number one that we should believe in Jesus because Jesus is the perfect man. Here's reason number two. Jesus is the perfect savior. Jesus is the perfect savior. Verse 10. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. 
it's appropriate. God makes Jesus perfect through suffering. What does it mean to make Jesus perfect? Well, it doesn't mean that Jesus in his divinity needs to be made more perfect. God doesn't need perfecting. God's perfect, so he can't be made more perfect. There's a cap to perfection. But Jesus, as man, does need to be qualified to become the perfect high priest. So think of it not like Jesus qualitatively becoming more awesome, but becoming qualified to accomplish a job. If he's going to be the high priest, he needs to meet those qualifications. In order to be our perfect savior, that qualification involves becoming a man and suffering. Becoming a man and suffering. Is your life a mess? Do you suffer? Great. Because that's exactly who Jesus came for. His sufferings qualify him to be our savior. Jesus experienced suffering on the earth so that he would be made perfect as a savior for us. This is what we talked about last Sunday. That God doesn't just drop a rope down in our pit of despair for us to hold on to, but God himself comes down to us and he leads us out. And verse 10 says that Jesus is our pioneer. He secures our entrance into salvation by going there first. And by going there first, he gets us in. It's kind of like immigration. Well, many families would like to be able to go into a new country as one family unit. Oftentimes it just isn't possible. So sometimes one of the parents will go into that new country first in order to obtain work, to obtain a living and prepare a place to receive the rest of the family when the time is right. And some of us in this church have had that very experience. And in the same way, the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus goes first into death and into resurrection and secures a place for us in salvation. John 14, 3. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Where is Jesus going? Well, if you look at verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, to glory. And in bringing us to glory, Jesus brings us to himself. And why does Jesus do that? Why are we all going to be living in the same place together? Because we're family. Because we're family. Verse 11. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. And again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Jesus is the one who sanctifies, and we are the ones being sanctified. And that means that we all share one Father, which is why we can say that Christ, Jesus, is our brother. See, God doesn't treat us like maids in his mansion. He adopts us as his children. 
And notice what siblings do in verse 12 there. They proclaim God's name and they sing hymns in the congregation. They proclaim his name and they sing hymns in the congregation. Bethany Baptist Church, that means that we're more than just fellow church members. Not less than that, but we're more than that. We're family. And when we gather together to proclaim the name of Jesus together, when we sing hymns to one another, we're actually following the example of our eldest brother, Jesus. So keep going. Let's make 2022 marked by proclamation and singing praises to God for saving us in Jesus Christ. That's reason number two. Jesus is the perfect Savior. Here's reason number three. Jesus is the perfect conqueror. Jesus is the perfect conqueror. Verse 14. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. How are we and Jesus related? Well, according to verse 14, by flesh and blood. Blood is thicker than water. And Jesus shared our blood to relate to us. It's fascinating to think about. We're all flesh and blood by default. And what we are by default, Jesus chose to become. He took on flesh and blood so he could destroy the one holding the power of death. Satan, the devil. And by slaying Satan, he frees those who are held in slavery by the fear of death. The fear of death. Not just death itself, but the fear of death. We're all going to die. It's life's most consistent inevitability. And death is scary. It comes for us all. But it's not like we get to sprint away from death and live our one life to the fullest until the reaper catches us. We're enslaved right now while we're alive by the fear of death. We're all going to die. All of us have feared dying. All of us will die. But if you're not in Christ, you're enslaved by it. You're enslaved by it. See, Satan uses the fear of death as a tool to accomplish his purposes, as a shackle around humanity, either in bringing us to despair to the point where we give up on life itself, or in denial, to push us, to urge us to live in denial of death as we sprint on this hedonistic treadmill of distraction. Despair or denial. Either, both lead to death. But Christ comes to free those who are held in slavery by death, by the fear of death. How? By conquering death itself. In Christ's death, death is put to death. Jesus conquers death. He rose from the dead. 
And in doing so, he liberates us who are in Christ from its bondage. Christians are able to hope beyond death because we have a conqueror who has defeated death. And because of that victory, we can have true peace. We can have true peace. Our greatest enemy is defeated. God adopts us as his children. And that means that we can face the terrors of death together because our brother is a conqueror. And he went before us into death. And we can follow him knowing that he will protect us and carry us safely into eternal life. In Christ, we have nothing to fear. If you're a Christian, your worst nightmare has been slain by your conquering king. And it's going to be replaced by a delight that's going to be greater than your wildest dreams. That's reason number three to believe in Jesus. Because Jesus is the perfect conqueror. Here's our last reason, number four. Jesus is the perfect mediator. Jesus is the perfect mediator. Here's verse 16. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Jesus doesn't come to help angels. He came to help Abraham's kids, his offspring. But who is Abraham's offspring? Well, turns out in the Bible that Abraham's offspring are not those who physically descended from Abraham. So go and grab your Bibles and turn them to John chapter 8. Turn them back to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, starting with verse 36. Jesus has this interchange about truth and freedom with with Jews. and, And he ends up talking about whether or not they're really descendants of Abraham. Read with me from verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the father. So then, you do what you, what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. Abraham does not do this. You're doing what your father does. The Jews are direct descendants of Abraham. That's literally how their nation was formed. And yet, Jesus makes clear that they're not Abraham's children. Because they're not doing what their father does. Who is their father? Well, look at verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Ouch. What's the proof that they are not descendants of Abraham? Because they don't do what Abraham did. And what did Abraham do? Well, for that, we should turn to Genesis 15. The beginning of your Bibles. Go to Genesis 15. Verse 6. 
Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. When Abraham heard the word of God, he believed it, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when Abraham's physical descendants, the Jews, listened to the word of God speak to them, they rejected it. They didn't believe it. They questioned it. They opposed it. In other words, what makes someone the offspring of Abraham is that they have believed the word of God, that they've believed in Jesus Christ. And if they've rejected it, even though they may share Abraham's blood, they don't share Abraham's spirit. Children, you can be child, the child of Christians and still be the spawn of Satan. And not just by terrorizing your parents, but by not believing in Jesus. And the good news for you this morning is this. If you believe in God's word, if you trust in Jesus, God will adopt you as his child. And our passage this morning tells us that if you trust in Jesus, he will help you. In fact, Jesus has already helped his brothers and sisters, as we can see in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Hebrews 2, 17. Therefore, he, being Jesus, had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Jesus became like us in every way so he could become a merciful and faithful high priest. The high priest in Israel was the one who would go once a year into the most holy place in the temple to offer a sacrifice for atonement or for forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins for the whole nation. And Jesus joins our nation. By becoming a man. And as a man, he offers atonement for sins by giving up himself. A holy, complete sacrifice for us. You see, Jesus is both the mediator and the sacrifice. The priest and the payment. And in becoming man, he became a merciful and faithful priest. Merciful. Because he offers grace that only a true substitute could give. An animal, an animal can never replace the sins of human beings. Faithful. Because Jesus could only live the perfect sinless life necessary to be a suitable sacrifice. And only Jesus' sacrifice would fully satisfy God's wrath for all who would believe in him. Jesus as God fully pays any penalty that could be levied against us. And not only that, Jesus' suffering means that he can help those who are tempted. Aaron Sorkin tells a story of a man who walked on the street and then got stuck in a hole. The walls are so steep that he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the man yells out, hey, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down the hole and moves on. 
Then a priest comes along, and the guy yells up, Father, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? Priest writes down in prayer, throws it down the hole, and then moves on. Then a friend walks by. Hey, it's me. Can you help me out? Then the friend jumps in the hole. Our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. The friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way up. Jesus is that friend in the pit of temptation who helps us and carries us out. Have you gone to Jesus for help? He offers more than just hope beyond this life. He offers hope now in your struggles. Jesus' credentials are his scars. He offers you his competent care. Here's what Spurgeon says about Jesus. He says, Christ could not be a perfect sympathizer unless he bore our suffering. He did not look at sin from the distance of heaven, but he walked and lived in the midst of it. He knows all shapes of suffering, disease, sickness, poverty, need, friendlessness, hopelessness, desertion. You cannot cast human suffering into any shape that is new to Christ. In him, there is every pang that tears the heart, every grief that forces tears from the eyes, everything that is inevitable to flesh and blood, to hearts that break and spirits that are depressed. Jesus knows. Often the way that Jesus offers his help is through incompetent, inexperienced servants like me and like you. I myself don't have much more to offer you than the doctor or the priest in the story, but I can offer you Jesus. And that's what we really need. Sometimes in our frustrations, we want quick solutions, but God rarely works like that. But he offers us a real solution real solution that helps us in our temptations and offers us hope beyond this decaying world. If someone offers you Jesus, they're giving you what you really need. At the same time, those of us who are giving Jesus should avoid a cold confrontation where we offer folks Christ without the very sympathy that Jesus had for us in becoming a man. We want to be Christ-like as we offer Christ to those around us. Embody Christ-like compassion and care as we exhort, encourage, rebuke, and comfort those around us. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says to warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Let's do that for one another. Let's seek to give one another Jesus. In 2022, that's what we really need. A perfect man perfect savior, a perfect conqueror, a perfect mediator. We don't need more plans for self-improvement or aspirations for greatness. We need Christ. And I have good news for you. He gives himself to us freely and he's going to come back. And that's a promise that's worth proclaiming and singing about. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Christ. We ask, God, that you would help us this morning to, to treasure 
to cherish, to meditate on the work of your son. Help us to be wholly satisfied in him. Pray, Lord, that you would help us this week to to offer Christ to those around us and to trust him completely for all of our needs. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.